0: right and we're off (coughs) here
1: we go episode two yeah
0: episode two here we go writing about writing about it
1: hi welcome to the full stop podcast with me berenice smith from walk in our shoes michael hughes from married and childless and sarah lawrence from after the storm We really hope you enjoyed our first episode with Jodie Day, which was all about sharing our stories. In this episode, we're going to be talking about writing them down. We're absolutely thrilled to be joined by four authors, and we had so much to talk about, so we're releasing two episodes. In this first one, we're joined by Dr. Lorna Gibb, who talks about her book, Childless Voices. And if you're inspired to write it down, then do listen to Annie Kirby, who's sharing news about her creative writing workshops. So let's press on with the show. Hello, Laura. Um, hello. hello. Thank you so much for coming on to the Full Stop podcast. Um, we're just amazed uh, that you're here. It's really good. Um, very right. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> i wanted to um i've been reading back through the book today because it's one of the most powerful books childless voices that i've read in our community i every time i've read it i find something new that's a hook a thing you know just these people people around the world it's absolutely fascinating and i wanted just to know a little bit more about what drove you to write this book because it must be quite a painful process I would have thought. Could you tell me more about that? Um,
2: It started out that way. Um, I I think it came about more by accident than by design originally. I mean I'm a writer anyway and I was going through this experience of discovering that I was childless with my husband And as a consequence of that, we decided to travel and we moved to the Middle East because I had a job at the university there and my husband had some prospects. And in the Middle East, um, which you'll have seen in the book, one of my students started talking to me about her two mothers. And so I got very interested in this particular way of adapting to childlessness. And then I started to think, well, what's it like in other countries? This is something I could explore.
1: Yeah, it's. I found that quite interesting. I've travelled um, to the Middle East and I've worked um, remotely there, so I've produced books um, for publishers from the Middle East. So, it's what I found fascinating about the book is the religious and cultural sensitivities and how that impacts on infertility. It's it's quite incredible, isn't it? It is. I think. I think because the whole act of
2: Procreation of making children is such a fundamental thing that it ties in so deeply to cultural attitudes, um, in some cases prejudices, but
1: also to our sense of faith and wonderment and what we all wish for or hope to be true. Absolutely, it's Halima, wasn't it? It's the lady who ha- you first interviewed, who is the childless woman who is step. But it, it's hard to define it's what shared mother, mother really.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. It's yeah. shared mother.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. yeah I, all the names in the book are not the real names of the people, mm. so that's why I can <laughs> oh, Of changed the names for quite some. In, not every single case, but many of the cases in the book, the women preferred to have pseudonyms. Oh, I was cool. Especially true in the Middle East, where. Um, Culturally, they didn't particularly want to be exposed as living in that particular way, which is seen by many as old-fashioned and outdated now. And in fact, when I wrote the book, it was more common, even when I was writing that, it was more common then, even than it is now. It's actually quite rare in Qatar now, because Qatar has made such strides in modernity. But it's still common in other parts of the Middle East, like Yemen, for example, where um, plural marriage households, where the first wife is infertile, are
1: fairly common. Absolutely. It was interesting, the whole idea of, um, of bigamy almost being used as some sort of strange, twisted uh, advantage somewhere. I, I, it, it's a very interesting concept, I suppose, um, but very, very difficult to understand, I think, in our Western world. I think the women, um, some of the women saw it as providing a mm-hmm. huge advantage because for them
2: they got to be part of a family and for them a family had to involve children and it meant they had this experience and they felt there was a biological link of some kind because it was their husband who had five children and for other women it was a kind of hell so it really did vary a lot on individual um, cases. And one of the things I tried, I don't know how successfully when writing the book, was to be, not to make kind of judgments of any kind about anyone, but rather to be a kind of conduit so people could tell their stories, especially if their stories were different to the ones that we always hear in the West. It's a kind of a certain kind of story that we hear a lot, like my own story, which is not particularly unusual,
1: you know, interesting or rare in the West.
2: So I was very interested in hearing from other voices.
1: Absolutely, I think it comes across as a very much a, a very powerful observation um, and very enlightening and very educational. It's one of the books that I I would like it just to be mandatory reading for everybody. I think the world would be an awfully better balanced place for everyone oh no absolutely I I completely think (laughs) I learned something from all the time and and I think as a as a childless woman a lot of the IVF stories in there I think yeah okay yeah I I I get that but then you hear IVF in other parts of the world and think oh okay yeah I very very different the emotions around it and the stigmatism um i think you you make a very interesting point in the introduction to the book about um how we talk about our childlessness and whether we say we are child free and whether we are childless and other people's judgments on that too and i think there's an awful lot. i just sit there with they go yes 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 i i understand that it's very powerful um very powerful reading can i ask there's a lot of the uh, of you in there um, and your story which is incredibly interesting as well how did it feel to to pull your narrative into that um, emotionally for you
2: it was very um it was easy to write but difficult to put out there yeah so writing it was fine um Sharing it with my editor was fine because I had a wonderful editor, and we worked very closely together. And he was incredibly sensitive. Um, actually, seeing the book on the shelves and then getting interviews like this, or doing you know television news, um, not so, uh, newspaper, or radio interviews. Um, that was quite overwhelming because suddenly you think oh I'm sharing my story with everybody now and for my husband it was especially funny because he was asked to do a lot of joint things with me so we did a thing in the mail that was joint and his picture was in the Herald and and a lot of the features that I wrote were uh, I was asked to write were about my relationship with him so for Red Magazine it was about my relationship with my husband and how that had been affected and so there was this strange and and to an extent I was more used to it because with every book there's a certain amount of publicity a certain amount of my husband's an accountant he's not used to it at all for him it was slightly oh (laughs) that's my picture (laughs) and then having the experience together was quite nice actually it was nice than only having it on my own
1: love the um the little part you put in which is the short note about love i thought that was incredibly powerful um certainly something that's on my mind at the moment um i think and it comes up so much about how our stories and and actually i think probably affects many people who are also public about our backgrounds and what we've been through and that impact that it has as you say on on husbands and family and and everybody around us as well it's it's quite revealing isn't it you you have this personal story yeah I can imagine it's quite daunting seeing a book on the shelf in that instance
2: I think it is I think the, the most um I think uh some of the newspaper articles were the most um daunting because you get you then get these threads of oh, and, the comments section uh, yeah and can be, comments. some of them can be nice but some of them are terrifying <laughs> and, um, and also on twitter I I it did Twitter quite a lot on the run up to the book and there I got quite a lot of mansplaining just, you know, kind of arbitrary messages from men telling me how I could deal with my infertility what I could do I hadn't been thinking about it um (laughs) suggestions that maybe I should have encouraged my husband to marry someone else and not be selfish um somebody else telling me it was my punishment from God um so (laughs) so that was that was um, I'm fairly thick-skinned thankfully but I mean that was kind of relentless in the first few weeks after publication and it's quite enough thank God but But
1: that was fairly relentless. I bet it was. (laughs) Kind of ironic, given that the book really sets out to kind of educate and inform. It's kind (laughs) of it's it's clearly they've never read it before they they commented. But yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that must be really hard to deal with. I've only had it very very briefly um, in a newspaper article and swore never again and I'm tentatively stepping back into it but it, it, it's hard those comments aren't they? What happened to you? Was it the comments? Or... Oh yeah 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 comments and, and generally the, the paper kind of basically rewriting most of what I had written all to do with the campaign um, to save um, IVF on the NHS.
2: Oh yeah. So,
1: yeah, which everyone has an opinion about. IVM.
2: Oh yeah, people do. I know. Oh. It's really, no, I know. It's not an illness, so why should it be on the NHS? Oh but yeah, yeah. That caused one. by an illness, and I kept saying that to people. <laughs>
1: There's a lot of banging your head against brick walls on that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. The amount of help I had um, in order to sort of yeah, oh, I can help you conceive. Oh, lo- lovely. I, I don't think I, I want you to do that now. <laughs> <laughs> if your profile picture is anything like what you are then absolutely not <laughs> um can I ask a little about the actual process of the book so that process of research and and talking to people it feels from the book that it's very organic that you met people along the way and it was word of mouth is is that very much how it worked for you it's how it
2: started um mm-hmm. so a lot of the organic stuff is how i wrote i mean i don't know if you know i mean you used to be in publishing so presumably you know the process so i write a proposal mm-hmm. i send a yeah. proposal to my agent my agent sends a proposal to various publishers the publisher offers money the one that offers the most money or the one that i have the best relationship with then publishes the book so yeah. to write the proposal um lots of the stuff was fairly organic it was stuff i had accumulated over a period of several years so the years we were in the middle east the years we lived in italy um and to some extent uh stories of people i knew so that was true to until that point but then the minute the book was commissioned it kind of became a job in a way so i started doing very formal things to elicit stories so i got in touch with a charity i used to work with who led to another charity who led to another charity and i met people that way i put notices in churches i put notices in a mosque i um sent emails to people i knew who had good contacts in various regions where i thought there might be stories i contacted the filmmaker whose work i really admired Bado, whose story the woman appears in the book and she was fantastic and helped enormously um so it became very formal then and it was that was a lot of my job was finding stories yeah in a very formal and very driven way and also online so you would i would post things on social media and share them and people would then email me um, and all all the kind of usual things but it was very it was huge it was a huge task and there were lots of replies and lots of stories that didn't make it into the book
1: Yeah, it's interesting that there's lots of replies and you've got that feedback because it's still very, very hard to get people to talk about their stories, isn't it? And to share that and to to answer some very, I would imagine, some very compelling questions as well
2: um yes and to be fair most of the stories i got that were true stories that were really captivating or engaging i had an introduction that led to them so there was an element of trust because the people i was speaking to knew that my story although i was privileged and in the west and everything else there was still that commonality and i actually found that the commonality of infertility was in many cases stronger than any cultural difference there was a real empathy mm. uh, with many of the people I spoke to. But also I work at Middlesex University, so I had um, I did have access to academic sources and I could call people in universities that I knew had worked in the area and say, well, would you mind letting me know who these people are? Well, often the answer is no, because university grants mean you have to um, be very strictly secret in not sharing. Your information, but occasionally that would lead to something, and then
1: I could merge things. Absolutely, it's interesting, isn't it? That I, I find the whole well, we find it a lot. I think in our communities that infertility, and it doesn't matter how you come to that point where you find that you cannot have children. It's a shared thing. It's a shared, almost like a taboo secret sometimes. But it pulls you together. That power of our community is sometimes quite astonishing, isn't it?
2: I find that too. And I although the book is about people who are also choose not to have children and is about, you know, how that's stigmatized and the problems around that, mm. I felt that the that the kind of empathetic relationships were with women who were infertile and with two men who were infertile as well. So the 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 empathetic closeness came with shared infertility and what that means. Mm. It's not that I wouldn't listen to stories of other, you know, problems and other issues, but that particular issue was the one that that brought me most close to some of my subjects, I think.
1: Yeah. Is there one person in the the one subject that you particularly moved you more than another, or did they all move you in, different ways any connections that you have kept um i mean
2: actually the one that moved me most is someone i'm not in touch with i think it's probably um the mother of sewer the indian girl oh gosh yes i was going I to say that Sur mother, always gets me want to stay in touch afterwards she said we've done what we want i mean i tried to and she said we've done what we wanted to do and that was the most moving of the story also mm-hmm. because she was the story that I knew most about the the people that I spoke I, I never met them face to face. It was all done on skype but but that was the story that impacted me most personally that I was most moved by. But also because at the time that I did that interview, I was working with a charity called Reach India. And there I was getting little glimpses of stories third hand through, through a very kind um, charity worker who helped me. And those were devastating. And I started to worry how many of those stories would be just like sewers. So in terms of impact, that was the one that affected me most.
1: Yeah, it's a very, very moving story. It, it's one that stays with me. Um, afterwards and the fact that actually the family were prepared to share that and to yeah. do that and that one hopes it was cathartic for them or it put something to rest for them I do hope so. I
2: think they just wanted to know that her voice was heard that she hadn't been forgotten that was all and mm. that's true in a lot of cases um, the, the women in uh, the women that I took from Yamabado's film The Witches of Gambaga the, mm. those women Yeah, Um, Yabba was very kind and shared her transcripts with me. And when I said to her, I'm going to tell the story of some of the women from your film using the transcripts, which never made it to the film, but they're about childlessness and they were amazing. And I said, do you want me to change the names? Can you ask the women please? And she said, no, she said, you must keep the names the same because she said the women wanted to be known, wanted to be remembered, did not want to be left as outcasts in these witch communities that were created for them.
1: And so their names are all the same, because they want wow. to be known. Wow, that's incredible. I had it. Wow, it was blown slightly blown me away. That's incredible. The whole idea of witchcraft and, and all of the, the myths and the truths around that, I think is incredibly compelling. I know I started to look at that once when I'd, I'd been to a witchcraft museum, and years and years and years ago, before I knew that I was childless, and then you start to see this theme and you think oh god and then of course it comes back to you and you find out and think okay yeah this is this is quite painful um those judgments that people make and it's just a way it's a way of kind of categorizing or perhaps somebody a woman i it isn't it's, it's compelling very very compelling it's a way of controlling i think
2: too mm. because there's a real feeling um and obviously the women in gambaga are not only there because they're childless, as you will see from the book. They're mm. there for a variety of reasons. I was interested in the ones that were sent there elders. But um, for many of these communities, childlessness is also seen as a kind of almost infectious curse. So mm. you can curse other
1: people by looking on them or bring them your bad luck. Mm. And going back to Sir's story, it's interesting that it's a, it's a female thing. You know, yeah. it's never the man.
2: Well, it can be the man. Um, in there's one of the um, one of the short notes where I talk about some of the countries where, with men, there are really horrible names for mm. men you can't conceive. You know, mm. him, well, testes dysfunctional, non man, and so on. And of course, there's all this issue around the childless men in China, and and what they have to put up with, and the stigma, yeah. and also social problems of being alone without family.
3: Mm.
1: I think men have it incredibly difficult in our Western world. It's something that Robin Hadley and Michael have talked about before. I'm sure it will pop up in a future issue that we do with with him. But it's those labels and the connotations that, yeah, it's quite frightening, I think, around the world. And I think men have such a, a, it's so difficult for them to speak out. Um, It's very good that they actually have a voice in your book as well. That's very important. Can I ask, how has it changed your life, this Childless Voices? The book? um, Writing it, the the impact of publishing it, has it made an impact or changed your life in any way?
2: Not really. I mean, I'll
1: move on to another book.
2: Another book, yeah. No, really. Um, um, I suppose for me, personally, it's almost like a kind of closure. But to be fair, we adapted to our childlessness a few years ago. So yeah. I have I've become accustomed to it um, yeah. over a period of years. I don't I don't know, maybe seven or eight years or so. I can't put a time on it, but we're we're fine with it now. So the book, I can't say the book brought me catharsis because I had catharsis before I wrote it. Um, but I can say it made me feel fortunate in the sense that I was born where I am and I always feel that kind of sense of privilege. I mean, I'm from a very working class background and I don't really think of myself as privileged because of that. I grew up in a very council estate. My dad worked a factory, my mom was a cleaner, we never had enough money. I'm used to that kind of um, identification of myself as not being, but in fact, I'm a white Western woman. I am extremely privileged. Yeah. And, and the book, and the interviews for the book taught me how much that privilege is. I mean, you kind of know, but, but I mean, in a real way, a visceral way.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. I think the ending of the book is hopeful. And I hope that, I, I've came away from it feeling that, yeah, that sense of privilege of where I am, but also having learned a lot as well. It's a very beautiful ending to the book. Thank you. I hoped it helped people.
2: I mean, I kind of hoped that people read it and thought these are terrible stories. They're but for the grace of God, and and actually, you know, maybe I too can move on. And because for some people that's not possible because of where they live, because of the accident of their birth, they don't get the chance to move on and have lives doing other things
1: absolutely yeah we can be very constrained by what's around us that isn't something we can control it's that um circle the zone of control what we can control and what is around it sometimes we just can't do that uh, and we have to make um the best sometimes of what we have and that can be quite difficult depending on where you live in the world and what's around you those cultural and religious sensitivities yeah one last question for you is any advice for anyone who's thinking of writing in our childless community?
2: Oh, I don't know really. Um, do you mean because so- someone who's a writer and wants to do it become childlessness, or just people who want to write about their experience?
1: About their experiences. Well, I think it depends
2: what you want to do it for. I mean, I mean, I always tell my students this, if you are writing for yourself to explore your own emotions, to explore what you feel, then publication isn't really that important. Mm-hmm. What's important is that you write it down and have it for yourself. I think if you see the writing itself as being cathartic, as being an exploration of how you feel and how you experience your new situation, then it might be more helpful than if you start seeing it as a kind of career plan. You know, so you kind of think, I'm going to become a writer because I'm childless. so I'm going to write about childlessness. I think um, one of the things... I, I like the communities um, and I, I, I found them very supportive and helpful and inclusive. And I think that's great because it's not true of many other um, causes or areas. They're not always as inclusive. But I think um, what I would really like to see, I don't know, I guess is women going on to build lives that they enjoy, that means something for them, that kind of go beyond their childlessness. and it's really sad if everybody who's childless starts making their childlessness their career.
1: Mm, yes, yeah. It's but, finding that plan B or, I don't know, A, B, C, D or even the Z, the plan that you... The yeah. way that you get past that life unexpected, which Jodie Day, of course, talks an awful lot about with Gateway Women. And in the interview we had with her last week, it's finding other roots So it doesn't become your overriding definition. Exactly. The- yeah. And it doesn't
2: become your job. So a lot of yeah. times women, it ends up being their job. Their job is about... Counseling childless women, or marshaling childless women, or setting up things for childless women, or dealing with childless women, or talking about childlessness, or writing solely about childlessness. So, in a sense, their childlessness became their job, and that might be fine for some people. But I think it's a dangerous thing if it becomes true for all childless, because then they're even more tying in their identity of self with their inability to do something yeah
1: it's a perpetual trigger exactly it?
2: yeah yeah, yeah so it'd be quite yeah. nice to see these women going off i don't know and going to art college because they always wanted to or um writing a book about writing a novel because they always wanted to that's not about childlessness yeah. um studying uh i don't know whatever mathematics because they didn't get to do it when they were young so doing something that's about them mm-hmm. but not about their childless identity.
1: Yeah. So. Absolutely. I couldn't put it better myself as someone who went off to work college. Yeah, Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Fell into a master's, didn't mean to do it, thought, oh, that'll do. Good um, for saying, you. I'll you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Lorna, for talking to us today and to talk a little bit more about childless voices. We'll put all of the links to um, where people can buy the book from and to your interviews as well on our show notes as well. But thank you very much for joining us today. So, Michael, tell us your story, then. What's this story about?
3: <laughs> there, was, there was a girl called Bridget Sullivan in our village, or in, in my street. I was six, and that was the first time I'd ever written anything, wrote, sorry, wrote anything. <laughs> but I can remember um, it was, I love you very must, because I didn't know what much was. So that was my first experience of writing.
1: <laughs> oh. I think my first experience of writing something like like a proper letter was Blue Peter, um, which for anyone, I, um, I think everyone probably knows Blue Peter, but anyway, it's a BBC children's programme. And um, I used to, I wrote something to go with, um, a submission for a, a competition and I won a Blue Peter badge. <gasps> no I've way. Got, I've got three of them. And my mum no used to way. make us. Well, my mum used to make us write them. We were like, you, you're good at drawing. <laughs> I think it was a way of trying to make me earn my keep, you know, that she could say something useful. <laughs> All of my other friends at school were probably like, oh, they're winning in, in that, the egg and spoon race and, and stuff like that. And I was just, uh, what, what can you, oh, I know, blue Peter badges. So I, I ended up getting three. Steph from World chartless is just, oh, you've got three badges. I hate you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was going to go down that line, but I'll leave it there. <laughs>
1: Yeah, let's just leave it there. Yeah, there's a whole world of podcast listeners going, I bloody hate her now. Gemma. Borderline I'm bullying.
3: <laughs> did you get to meet Shep the dog?
1: No, I didn't get to go, oh God, no, I never got anywhere near there. I, I We drove past it one year when we were going down to um, to, to Paddington Station and my, my dad took us around that way and I can remember seeing um, the BBC Television Centre and, and thinking, oh, that's where Petra and Shep live. Because um, it was... Oh, was it Petra? Then I think Petra passed by them, but it definitely was Shep. But no, I never got to meet John Lokes or anybody or Simon Groom or anyone.
0: Oh, uh, Simon Groom was the one I know. with Goldie, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah that's that, Simon that was, Groom was kind of my, era. of my era, Yeah, it was Simon Groom, Goldie, the dog, and oh, Peter Duncan wasn't it? Oh yes, Peter Duncan, Duncan Dares. Duncan Dares. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, this is totally <laughs> reminiscing now. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> <just> like what? <laughs> Who? <laughs> Why?
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Sarah, yeah. your first th- first thing
1: you wrote ever.
0: First thing I wrote ever. Well, funnily enough, actually, my mum excuse the background noise. My mum sent me this the other day. You're not going to be able to see it because it's on camera, but it's like so Sarah st- holding
1: up a letter with some really cute drawings on it. Yeah. It's oh. Th- so Thursday, what
0: was So it's um about Squeaker the squirrel. <laughs> a whole story and it's like i must have been about i don't know six for this but it's the story about squeaker i don't read it honestly (laughs) but it got me a good good try and a gold star so that was probably one of my first examples of writing
1: i like the drawings they're very good
0: (laughs) it looks like an orange peanut with legs
1: but yeah that's my that's the first example (laughs) We'll have to make you read it out in the moment when we, we, oh. when we have a wine or
0: something, or beer. <laughs> oh, a, a heck of a lot of beer, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Get past the cringe. But yeah, that's the first <laughs> example. But I was wondering actually around, because obviously we're going to be talking to a lot of the authors in this yeah, episode, yeah. which author, and it can be any genre, fiction, it could even be about childless, not by choice issues, which author has touched you the most, affected you the
3: most? Oh
1: my God, that is a horrible question. <laughs> oh, Michael's oh. had a thought. I think. Hang on,
3: yeah, I've, I've got to Google. So if you hear some typing, <laughs> that's me, because I know what I want to say, but I've got to, I've got to make sure I do this justice because this is, this is, um, sorry. Anyone, someone else can talk while I'm doing it.
1: Can you think? Oh God! right, here we I've go. Got, here we go. Oh, I've I've got, got, go, on. go on, Michael. You go, and I'll, I'll start. <laughs>
3: okay. So back when back when I used to when I used to voraciously read books, I picked one up called Shame, by now. Hope I hope I do this right. Jasvinda Singh Hera. Yes. Um, okay, where are you? I've lost you now because okay now. <clears throat> and I recommend that for anyone. Um, it's uh, an English woman, who with uh, obviously an Asian background. Um, and it 's about um, well it's it 's about honor killing oh so um yeah, so when you say touch me the most, that was it um, it it just opened my eyes to the to the horror of this idea of honor you know with um, uh, um you know asian well east west asian you know india pakistan that those sort of areas. About the horrors of honour, and um, she's now, through her own journey, uh, she what well, she has has. I've got to go back to Google now. She has a her own organisation, based after writing this book, um, and I'm trying to find it. She was born in Derby. Um, oh, and she founded karma nirvana a nationally award-winning charity that supports both men and women affected by honor-based abuse and forced marriages
0: wow that's so powerful that something good has come out of something so shocking isn't it
3: it is it is um so i I would recommend that book to anyone but if i can if i can just just hog the hog the (laughs) uh, camera microphone but the next one is a time to dance by. And I think it was Melvin Bragg.
0: Oh yes, um, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
3: That for me, that was uh, it was a it was a love story written from a man's perspective, mm-hmm. and I just thought it was a beautiful piece of work.
0: Yeah. Wow.
3: So yeah, who's next? Berenice? Who's done this? Who, Bernice, oh. have you done your research?
1: I find it so difficult because I read so much. Um, And I studied an English literature degree. So I kind of, I feel like I'm overwhelmed by books, I suppose. A book that didn't wow that influenced me when i was much much younger before all of this happened and it's a book that i've actually every time i've moved house it's come with me and i like to know where it is at all times i don't know why it's it's just one of those things and it's called no end to yesterday i'm also typing because i want to make sure i get the author right um um sheila Macdonald, and she only ever wrote this one book and it was a whitbread children's award um Oh, years and years ago um 1977 in fact um was when it won the prize and it's of a girl who's growing up in this very victorian household and the grandmother is the the matriarch and it reminded me a lot of growing up in my family i have a very big family um and there was the house we all went to, and a lot of it is in in the book. is 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 quite awful how she's just trying to find her feet, and there's a conversation with her daughters as she grows up, and the whole idea of her mother not being there, um, which is totally just not like my family at all. But there's a lot of parallels between lots of people offering lots of advice and how you grow up, and it and it's a book my aunt gave it to me, um, and I've always just sort of kept it close to hand. Mm -hmm. And I'd hate to lose it. I've never lent it to anybody. I'm normally quite a happy person in lending books to people, but I won't let this one out of my sight. Um, And the other book I've read recently, uh, again, fiction is A Year of Marvellous Ways, which um, is written by, um, I think it's Sarah Winman. Yes, Sarah Winman, Um, who wrote When God Was a Rabbit. And... It's an absolutely just brilliant. It appeals to me for lots of reasons. The era in 1947 and the lady um, is called Marvellous, Marvellous Ways. And she lives in Cornwall. And it's just, I don't know what it is about it. It's just wonderful. I think maybe because actually Marvellous Ways um, lives alone in this Cornish Creek um, on her own. just uh, maybe just appeals to me about that. But I, I couldn't. One of those books where you don't want it to end, but you know you have to and you want to finish it, but it's just like, Oh God But I've I read so many books. In terms of factual books, um probably the work of um Pima Chandran who is Buddhist mm. and she has some wonderful books, um, that have really kind of influenced sort of thinking, I suppose, and the way I think and yeah, I I but I I don't know, I, I read too much. There'll be another book. If you ask me this question on the next episode, I'll have something else for you. Um because I just love books, I really do. Oh, I know what you mean, Sarah. Are... What's
0: yours? <coughs> oh, excuse me. Hang on a sec. Excuse me. Um, books are like my CDs. So because I did literature as well, I've read an awful lot. Mm. But one book that really stayed with me because it resonated so much was Sylvia Plath's *The Bell Jar*.
1: Oh God, yes! What a yeah. brilliant book. Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah, I've I've read it.
0: Twice because it's one of those books. I don't want to read it and be disappointed by it. You know what I mean? It made such an impact on me that it's not one that I can go back and read time and time again. But if it's not, it's not one I lend out. It's not one that anybody else is allowed to basically <laughs> touch. It's like sacrosanct. Um, but it had such a profound effect on me because it mirrored so much of what I was going through with my mental health that it's it's something that I just I can't you know I can't. Let it go, basically, because I keep reliving bits of it. But I think in terms of other books as well. um Obviously, literature—I've read a lot of literature. But with the mental health stuff, because trainee counsellor and life coach, I'm fascinated by what makes the the, the human experience. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there's one at the moment. I was trying to Google it while you were talking. um It's called um, "Shoot the Damn Dog," and it's a um, one lady's experience of severe depression.
1: I've and read that.
0: Yeah. My God, I'm only about three chapters in, but yeah, I can only read it a little bit at a time mm-hmm. because it's so painful to read. It must have been the most painful experience to write it. But mm-hmm. it's those sorts of it sounds quite heavy duty. It doesn't sound like escapi- escapism, but escaping into somebody else's world is what yeah. fascinates me. So, H yeah, for
1: Haw- H for Hawk is another good book, actually. Is um, it? Helen MacDonald's H for Hawk. I'd recommend that too.
0: Love a good book recommendation yeah. it's,
1: a, it's a memoir but it's also about The grief, the loss of um, it, it Yeah it's complete grief recovery There's another one as well About grief That I've read That's part fictional Part factual mm, I can't remember it Something to do with blackbirds I can't remember <laughs> You can cut this bit out Michael <laughs> I can't remember it <laughs>
0: Blackbirds
1: i'll
3: find it for you oh so God, what's it? how do you so sarah talking about you know those books that you're reading how you said you could only read them as you know at a, um, mm. you know, a piece by piece it reminds me of um a lifetime ago when i was studying psychology i wanted to my dream was to be a forensic psychologist oh wow I, I read ferociously any profiling book i could get my hands on but unfortunately the subject matter is so so dark I had to stop reading them because it it you could feel it not not that I turned into a serial killer but you know mm. you could feel it just dragging you down you know because you got so engrossed in the thing so i had to stop i had to stop writing them uh, reading them sorry so how do you find you know with that is do you is are you does it affect you
0: I think, to be honest with you, I think if I was to read these maybe six months, a year ago, (laughs) I'd be the same. It would drag me down. But um, I'm doing different things now. I mean, this this podcast, for me, has been a godsend because it's put a different angle on the childlessness for me, you know, Mm -hmm. talking to other people face-to-face and seeing that people are listening to what we're saying. So for me, I'm in a different place with it. And obviously, as a trainee counsellor, I'm nosy, basically. I like to know what makes people, (laughs) what's going on behind the eyes. And it's, it it just, as I say, I have to do it in little chunks. Uh, I would love to read this book in one go, but I know it would have that effect on me. It would drag me down. But I think reading little bits means that I'm dipping into someone's life and then coming back out again. Whereas if you voraciously read it, as you say, you would would get sucked in, I think. The other one I... It is It is because you, it brings you back to reality. It's, it's somebody else's reality. It's not yours. But the other one I read recently that really affected me, um, you may not know him, uh, Michael, Danny Baker. He's like a 90s DJ in, in uh, the UK. And he used to really, really irritate me. He was a larger-than-life character. And he used to do an awful lot of sort of hip radio, hip telly. And I used to find him really irritating. But I've read his autobiographies. And in reading those autobiographies, the, last, the latest one, he had um, neck, neck, uh, head and neck cancer. And in reading that, it's given me a whole different perspective on a man that I used to find incredibly irritating. But his books are excellent. They're very funny. They're very witty. He name drops like a demon, you know, clang, clang, clang. Every page is a name drop. But it, it gives you a perspective on somebody that actually you, I used to find very repellent. But my heart, uh, yeah. My husband came in the other week, and I, I, I was reading this chapter, and it was describing his treatment for this head and neck cancer, and I was crying. He went, "You're right." And I was just, I, I, you know, when you just relate to somebody's awful experience so much, and I had to go yeah. and put it put it down. And then the next chapter, he's making up some, he's doing some silly stories again. But it just those sorts of books, the ones that make you cry, or the ones that make you laugh, or you connect with, they're just the best experience, aren't they? <laughs>
1: yeah there's a book there's a book recently that I read about that that made me cry about the great outdoors and I can't remember what it oh Robert Mc. Mm. oh crap I can't remember what the hell was it <laughs> You can forget this grief is a thing with feathers is the book that i was thinking of blackbirds wasn't far off you know i could picture the cover this is my problem i know the covers of all the books that i read i know what that is but i can never remember the authors um, grief is the thing with feathers by max porter and the other books just to add on very quickly the other author i'd recommend is matt haig notes on oh, the nervous yeah. planet matt yeah. haig is just oh incredible absolutely incredible and i just think his whole story of how he's again like Danny Baker actually I haven't read Danny Baker's um writing but again I agree with you completely so something that really irritates me but actually the reviews of that and some of the extracts that I'd read I think in the media were incredibly compelling um I was in tears yesterday actually over a really weird thing and it was to do with um it was a magazine that we we get over here in the UK called Simple Things and it was the latest issue and it was to do with an oak tree and a lady had written a piece just about the oak tree outside her garden and about how she felt that because she didn't have a garden that um her oak tree had adopted her and we have this great big ash tree in our garden and I photograph our ash tree all the time and of course we have Ash Dye back in the UK and I get really worried about my ash tree um and it's thriving and I just sat read this thing sitting on under my asher yesterday and a complete heap of tears because it was this whole idea of nature kind of adopting you and picking you up and and it was just like oh I just want to go and hug my tree and I was like, oh my god I've turned into a tree hugger <laughs> <laughs> I've done it I'm there <laughs> I've done it too <laughs> oh that's all right then. Uh, yeah it's totally normal <laughs> oh, that's all right then have you ever hugged a tree Michael
3: no I've climbed a lot Oh, okay, that's
1: almost the well, same.
0: Same as. And, and <laughs> yeah.
3: fell out and, and physically had to, cl- um you know, cuddle them because otherwise I'd have hurt myself. So does that count?
1: Yeah, that counts. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> So we've got some shout-outs to do, haven't we, Um, as well, because we forgot to do them last time because we got terribly carried away. Um, We would like to do um, a shout-out, actually, to everybody. Can we just do a shout-out to everybody? I don't know. What do we want to do about a shout-out? Do we want to just cheer or something like that? I don't know. Woo! No? no, no, no. It's a bit American, isn't it? It is. Okay. Let's not do that then. Okay, so shout-outs. We want to say thank you to the gut link. Um, because the gut link um, were our 50th follower on Facebook. What we did was, um, just to tell everybody on Facebook, we obviously have a Facebook page, we have Instagram, and we have Twitter. And we wanted to um, give a shout out to our 50th follower. And that was the gut link. And we like them. And we put a link in our show notes so you can go and find out more about the important work that they do. And as Michael said, they are very, very cute. And we like them very much. So thank you to them and to everybody who's actually done loads on our Facebook page as well because we've had tons I've also had tons on Twitter which seems like a really good place to actually say hello Annie Kirby because Annie Kirby's
4: rocking Twitter Hello Annie Hello (laughs) Thank you for having me You're very welcome
1: I know that was really good wasn't it are you impressed Michael by that? Oh I am I'm
3: learning
1: (laughs) everything from you (laughs) <laughs> Welcome to the full stop, Annie. It's lovely Thank you, to have Berenice. you here. Um, we're just so pleased to have you with us because you've got some really exciting news to share about writing workshops with everybody.
4: Yes, I have. Um, so um, I've been um, I've been writing a novel for ages, which is about childlessness, um, and I wanted to apply for some funding to the Arts Council for some funding to support me. <laughs> while I wrote that novel um, because I have less time to to go out and earn money. Um, But I also um, wanted to do more than just ask for money for that um, because I've found um, writing about childlessness to be quite a healing activity. Um, So what I wanted to do was um, also ask for some money to um, develop some workshops, writing workshops for childless not by choice people. Um,
1: I think that's quite amazing um, to actually do that because it must be really hard to get funding I'd have thought
4: from the Arts Council. um, I've done it before (laughs) so so, um, there there is kind of I think a knack to to the applications Um, so the the first time I did it I had some advice from somebody who who is an expert Um, so I carried that advice forward to this application And one of the things that I thought was really important was that I needed to evidence that there was a need for the workshops. Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't just go to the Arts Council and say, it would be really lovely to do these. Give me some money. Um, So um, I knew that they would want a little bit more than that. um, Because they're not going to just throw their money down the drain for something that I think would be nice. Um, And also for myself, I just wanted to make sure there was actually a demand um, and a need for those workshops. Um, So I um, developed a survey um, which was circulated through various Facebook groups, um, not by choice people. um, And um, I had I was overwhelmed. I had over 100 responses in a very short space of time. um, And. The first half of the survey was quite general, asking people um, about their experiences of childlessness. And then the second half was asking their experiences of writing and were they actually interested in a workshop. And if so, what sort of workshop would it be? Um, So I was able to um, give the Arts Council some stats. Um, So um, most of the people that responded to the survey were women, but not all. Um, And most were aged between 35 and 54. Um, so 97% said that they felt isolated or lonely socially because of their childlessness. Um, uh, 87% felt isolated or misunderstood by family members. 81% said they suffered from poor mental health because of their childlessness. Uh, 72% had been um, excluded from uh, from a friendship group. Um, so um, those things told me um, that there was potentially... A need for these workshops just so. Um, I've been to lots of writing workshops and they're wonderful things. But sometimes you know, if you want to write about something that's quite personal to you, and then everyone else is writing about how lovely their grandchildren are or mm. the christening that's of baby or something like that, yeah. it's yeah. not yeah. necessarily. I hate the word safe space. I hate the term safe space because it kind. I think it can, it can kind of be mocked. But that that was really what I was trying to do. That's the best word for it. I think to to Enable people to write about childlessness um, and know that no one's going to say anything unkind um, in that space. Um, so the second half of the survey was asking what people wanted in terms of the workshop. Do you want to write stories or poetry? And overwhelmingly, what people wanted was writing for well-being. Um, so that was uh, really helpful to know that because um, I've done some writing for well-being as a writer but not developed and I'm not a counsellor or or a psychotherapist or anything like that so I felt that to develop that I should have somebody on board who's qualified Um, so Mariel Whale um um, who um is quite active she's a world childless week champion um she's a counsellor for childless people not by choice and she's also a wonderful writer um she agreed to come on board with me to develop those workshops um which is really really exciting that's fantastic
1: fantastic fantastic. yeah it's such a big thing The statistics are incredibly sobering but it's really powerful to hear that you're turning that into something that can really help people and help the community annie i think
4: that's amazing well done you thank you i mean the statistics were amazing to me i mean most of those experiences i've had myself not all but most of them but you tend to think that you're the only one (laughs) yeah um, and to have that many to 97 percent of people to say that their childlessness has caused them to be lonely and socially isolated i think is an absolutely staggering figure um, even
1: um, to yes. me yeah i, I i'm i so surprised i surprised and not surprised um yeah. i think if you're active in the community sometimes you can see that there is um more out there um to coin the phrase more to life um But actually not everybody wants to do that. Um, We found that at Fertility Fest that people weren't always, it was their first time there or they were there briefly and it was too much for them. I think a lot of events can be like that. And that, of course, makes it very difficult for people to make those connections. So I think anything that brings that interest together of writing and exploring those feelings can really help. That's incredible, Annie. Absolutely. And,
4: you know, the focus of the workshops, which um, we're we're still designing them, um, but the focus of the workshops will very much be on positivity and healing and well-being. Um, But I still felt it was really important to have somebody like Meriel on board because all of of those emotions that could come up, I wanted to make Mm. sure there was that support there. Um, Yeah. Even as we're, you know, even as we're trying to take like a positive path to to the future um, and and live a childless life, but a positive life, um, you know, those emotions can come up. I think as we all know, they can just spring up from anywhere. So um, I thought it was really important to have her on board. So I was delighted when she said yes.
1: (laughs) She's lovely, isn't she? I've met her um, at Facility Fest and she's absolutely lovely, really nice person to be around and very, very supportive. You've got just the right person, I think, involved with you there on that too. Where can people find out more about the workshops? Are they open for people to to sign up? What stage are you at with planning them right
4: now? at the moment they're still at the planning stages so uh, July and August we're uh, designing the workshops and booking them so the the workshops are going to be four workshops and they're going to be actually in 2020 so we didn't want to rush them because we think it's really important to to get it right so um, there'll be four workshops and also a webinar so the webinar the plan is for that to be in January and that will be a 90 minute free webinar for anyone anywhere in the world who's childless not by choice um then we will follow that up with some workshops there'll be half day workshops there'll be one in brighton one in london one in birmingham one in, in manchester so they the initial plan is we haven't finalized booking arrangements with the venues yet but the initial plan is that there'll be one in february march april and may one a month for four months um they're low cost it's five pounds to come along or um if that five pounds would you know, exclude you if that's too much, then we have some bursaries available as well, so no one will be excluded due to cost. Um we just want them to be they're open to, to women and to men. Um so as long as you're childless not by choice, um you're welcome to come along. You don't need any writing experience at all. Um it should be, you know, it would the aim is for it to be a really positive um, experience. And to sort of put people on the road to maybe using words and using writing to to heal. That's can I can I just
3: can I just say that I've got really bad mofo f- no fomo right now fomo that's a, what <laughs>
0: yeah the other one's not right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have
3: I, to
4: get you over here, Michael, won't we? I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah have oh. Michael, you
3: could, uh, oh. you can still take part in the webinar. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I, I, I will
4: it will be where you are where we have it but it will be you know it will be weekday evening sometime in january in the uk so um so yeah so if you know if you're not in the uk and i did get responses to the survey from outside of the uk quite a lot in fact so um, you know at some point in the future perhaps i hope that 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 maybe the workshops can be taken on by other people to be done in other locations as well but yeah, so certainly, um, if you're if you can't come along to one of the workshops, certainly sign up for the webinar. Mm. Fantastic.
3: Will, will, will you will you record the webinar?
4: Um, I'm still I'm still thinking that over actually. I think I would like to record it. Um, I just need a bit of feedback from from to make sure people would be comfortable with that. But I think recording the webinar would be a, a positive thing to do um, yeah. to have that there as a reference for people. So that i think is the plan
1: do you want to talk a little bit about your twitter thing because we referred to it very briefly
4: in our oh, introduction please tell us yeah
0: do i was so i was going to ask you about that i thought it was fantastic
4: um, well it it was um it was national loneliness week or some i can't remember what it was called loneliness awareness week um, that was it yeah yeah um, there were lots of things on twitter about different kinds of loneliness and i didn't see anything at all about the kind of special loneliness that comes with being childless, not by choice. Um, so I wrote this, I didn't write it as a tweet. I wrote it as a, a single on a single piece of paper and then thought, you know, I could do a tweet thread of this. I did this on the, the, the Tuesday of, of um, loneliness away this week and then chickened out and didn't post it because mostly I just tweet into the void anyway. <laughs> um, um, but also it's, it's quite nerve wracking to put something, that personal out there Um, but on sunday night it was the end of end of um loneliness awareness week and i was like i still haven't seen anything about childlessness and loneliness so i just pinged it out there um and it just it went a bit crazy Um, and i think it's been seen um by over a million people not read by over a million people but um certainly um more than all my other tweets from the last seven years put together.
0: <laughs> Wait, you actually put a tweet up, didn't you? Your tweets earned four hundred twenty-five thousand four hundred nine impressions over the
4: last twenty-four hours. Yes. So um, I think it's about double that now. So it's still it's wow. slowed down a lot, but it's still it is still being um, retweeted or shared. And what really struck me um, is how many people said you could have been in my head when you wrote that tweet. Um, and I've had quite a lot of. Um, direct messages from people who didn't want to say on Twitter that that was experience, but also a lot of people, you know, putting it out there for the first time saying, you know, quote tweeting the thread and saying, this is me, this is how I feel. Um, So that was quite humbling really that, that people felt that they could do that and and that it resonated with so many people. Um, And interestingly, very few negative comments considering it's Twitter. well, not that I saw anyway, People, if the people were negative, then he didn't tag me in. Um, but on the whole, it was a, a positive response from people
1: i think it's one of those amazing things with twitter because it's 19 was it was it 19 tweets i think in the the thread Mm -hmm. yeah um you can follow annie by the way anyone listening um dr kerbs doctor all spelt out k-i-r-b-s is annie you can go follow her we'll put all the links onto the show notes anyway um but i think one of the things i found with twitter is that actually if you have a movement, a community like we do, people can be incredibly and extraordinarily generous. And sometimes I think with Childness is Not By Choice, it's kind of like a tidal wave. I think when people kind of get hold of something and they go with it, then I I, I feel sorry for anyone that tried to troll it or do something. I think they'd be quite scared to because it can be very powerful. People can really shoot people down, but in a very elegant way. I think there's so much evidence out there to say that actually yes it is loneliness or whatever subject people talk about on twitter there's so much evidence from everybody because they have all had a different aspect of something happen to us on the same theme yeah. around our grief and loneliness and isolation As your statistics for your survey only just go to prove
4: exactly um and i think you know i put the tweet out there for other childless people um, to know that they weren't alone in their loneliness if that makes sense but mm-hmm. I actually was also quite struck by the number of responses I got from parents saying actually I would never really thought about this and I'll try to do better in the future mm. with my childish friends and colleagues so that was nice as well in that people weren't defensive um, but rather you know at least the people that responded seemed to to try and take it on board and to, to hopefully try and be a bit more inclusive with their friends in the future that's
1: really really good to hear that's such a powerful um outcome for all of that it just builds those bridges isn't it and creates a bit different and stronger narrative if it can just make one person who's a parent speak to someone that they had previously dismissed for being childless then that has got to be the best thing ever
3: absolutely so going absolutely. back to
1: your novel I think, sorry
3: i think you nailed it annie I um, was reading it to Vicky today, actually. Yeah. We were just sitting there reading it together and she totally agrees, nailed it. Um, thank you for the shout out, by the way. You're
4: welcome. Um,
3: but, but also I think what you've got here is a great example for our community by saying that, you know, you just put your, just just step over that line of fear and, and see what can happen. You know, I think it's a great inspirational story of what you've done with that that reaching like you say, reaching so many people. Thank you. No negative comments. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I think I think a lot of people should get some inspiration from that. So anyone who's listening, make sure you check the tweet out.
4: Thank you.
3: <laughs> Sorry, Sarah.
0: No, no, don't apologize. It's a good it's a good point. I was just wondering, because um, obviously you say you've sort of almost bridged the gap that's quite unusual isn't it I don't think many people outside a community often think about what childlessness means for people that are going through it is that kind of what you're aiming for with your novel as well
4: I think so yes Um, so um, the novel I'm trying to do I suppose two things with the novel which is first thing is to write authentically about childlessness so that you know my main character will not be getting a miracle baby at the end of the novel, for example. Um, but the other other th- other thing is, I want people who aren't childless to read the novel um, and to enjoy it, and to enjoy it for the sake of the story, but to also come away with a bit more understanding um, of, you know, all kind of the experience of it and and the loneliness and um, just the whole experience it's you know I can't cover everything about childlessness in, in one novel but I'm hoping that it will hopefully reach out to, to people um, and I'm working with an editor on that novel who is a mum and that's actually quite useful for me to get feedback from her um, and amazing to me that she actually really gets it and she really gets what I'm trying to do with the novel so that's quite helpful for me to know that.
0: That's really powerful then isn't it it's showing that the the message you're putting out there is, is getting through already really isn't it I,
4: hope so, yeah. I mean i've still got a lot of work left to do on the novel um but um fingers crossed
0: um, yeah best of luck with it i think i think it's i think yes it's part of our community getting a voice is great but it also you know bridging that gap between is such a powerful thing isn't it
4: i mean one of the things uh, one of the things i said in my application to the arts council actually is about the lack of an authentic representation of childlessness in popular culture. So you often get the miracle baby and in the media too, miracle baby stories. You get um, you get the child snatchers. So if you think of things like, or child stealers, so you think of The Handmaid's Tale. I mean, I love that book and I love the show, but um, childless Women not shown in a very positive light. Um, and things like you know, I think the hand that rocked the cradle with the, the nanny, crazy nanny trying to steal the 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 baby um that's quite often um i think how i referred to it in my application to the the arts council was those like um the unworthy childless the the wicked ones and then you get the worthy childless people who get their miracle baby um (laughs) in the story Um, and i'm trying to cut through all of that um, My story is also about uh, mental health and and fairy tales. And quite often in fairy tales, there's some kind of miracle or supernatural solution to childlessness. Um, And I really tried. I was really trying not to do that. And I kept drifting back to to that trope. I was thinking about um, one of my favourite novels is The Snow Child, um, where the childless couple builds a snow child and she comes to life. And it's a lovely novel, but it's also representative of that trope. And I kept trying to come away from it and kept drifting back to it. Um, And I realised, you know, I like it because it's a bit of an indulgence for me. Um, So um, what I decided to do, how I decided to address that, was to to subvert those kinds of fairy tales a little bit and to explore them and to look at them in a different way in the novel um, so hopefully it's harder than i thought it would be <laughs> but hopefully um hopefully i'll be successful in doing that so um to look at those why those narratives are so attractive um, and how we can look at them differently as well I guess Sometimes it also
1: I probably brings about that whole idea that the, the fixing doesn't it that i just wonder how much all of that relates to how we often feel when we talk about childlessness and people to sell us you know or just adopt or all the other fixes um i wonder if fiction and and all those narratives buy into that people just think there's a, a cure somewhere
4: i think they do and i mean as as a writer i've been writing fiction for a long time this is my first novel i'm a short story writer um i can understand from, from um, a story perspective why those tropes are attractive to writers because they have drama, you have a resolution, it gives someone a a story arc. Giving a character a baby gives you conflict and tension and um or then resolving childlessness gives you a a nice ending to a story. Those kinds of things I can understand why they're attractive to writers and why they appear so often. Um, But I also think you know we we need to to break them down a little bit and try and find different ways to tell stories about childlessness, mm. but that that aren't necessarily all doom and gloom either. So you know, although my main character will not have a baby by the end of the novel, she will have hopes in the future, and I think that's really important as well.
1: We look forward to reading it. We mm-hmm. really, really do. Will you come back and talk to us um, maybe in the new year when you've done the webinar and you started doing the workshops and tell us how it's going?
4: Yeah, absolutely, I'd love to do that thank Brilliant, thank you oh, We'd love to amazing. also find
1: out about when the book's published How you're getting on with it Just keep in touch with us Because oh, I well. think it's a truly inspirational story I know we've been friends for a long time on um, social media And it's lovely just to hear more about what you're doing
4: Thank you so much thank you. thank you very much
1: Thank you
0: Annie, that was fantastic
3: And that brings us to the end of the first part of this month's shows In the next instalment, you'll be hearing from Tessa Broad and Leslie Pine, We truly hope that if you're on the path to acceptance, you'll be inspired by the importance of being able to speak out as part of your healing process. Now, a little plug for next month's episode. It's all about men. And we'll be joined by Dr. Robin Hadley and Rod Silvers, both from the UK, who are doing some unique work to give men a voice. So boys, if you have a burning question you'd like to ask, jump on the website and contact us. And girls, if there is something you'd like to know about how us blokes deal with the issue of being childless, by all means, do the same. And as always, it's important for us to let you know you are not alone.
1: Yeah, you're you're on you're on mute. On mute. <laughs> And you're meant to look after audio, for God's sake.
3: <laughs> well, I, was making, I was making sure that, you know, I didn't burp or fart or anything like that. And it came
2: <laughs> <down>. <laughs> oh.
0: right, I'm going to stop recording
2: now.